Now, if you're to believe that reading we've just heard, uh, Jesus has some very off-putting ways of dealing with those who show interest in him, wouldn't you say? He doesn't have a very good spin doctor or PR uh, consultant working with him, I don't think. And um, in this little reading, we get Jesus initially uh, distancing himself from the approach of retribution. So when uh, the two disciples say, shall we rain fire down on this village because they weren't very nice to us, Jesus says, what are, you, what are you thinking of, people? You know, And distances himself from that option. And then we kind of get to listen in on three conversations of people who show interest in following Jesus. They, uh, they're interested in being disciples, but they're kind of uh, not quite ready to go yet. And there would have been many, many of these kind of conversations, I think, and we get these three as a, a sort of types or examples of things that people might have come up with and objections that might have come. And in the first one, uh, it's a lovely little interaction. The first person says, I will follow you wherever you go. And when I heard that, it reminded me of the kind of promises we make when we have no idea what we're saying. A little bit like uh, the marriage vows. You know, when you you stand and you say, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, whatever the future may hold, I will love you and stand by you. We've got no idea what we're talking about, right? (laughs) This is the nature of unconditional promises. They... Whatever comes, you've already pre-decided what you're going to do. And Jesus pushes back against this fellow and says, just cool your jets for a moment. Do you understand the nature of what you're getting into? See, everybody wants a place to lay their head. We all want a place to be secure, a place to be at home, a place to be comfortable, a place to belong. And Jesus is kind of saying... The way I'm doing things, I'm not going to have that. I'm going to forego that. And uh, there is no place for me. I'm not going to compromise myself in order to find a place to fit in. Is that the kind of example you want to learn from? Is that the kind of life you want? Is that the way you want to follow? I mean, having said all of that, of course, unconditional promises like marriage are really good promises to make when you know you're into something really good. And it's the only appropriate response to make to Jesus. But Jesus says, make it knowing what you're doing as far as you can. Because Jesus isn't going to cozy up to this world's systems. Jesus was no fool. He could have got on really well with people and garnered all sorts of uh, worldly power if he'd wanted to. He could have become a populist leader, no question. He knew how to tap the right buttons and communicate well with people. He told great stories. He got people motivated in all sorts of ways. He could have fitted in really well if he wanted to. But he didn't want to just drift with the flow. He didn't want to become part of the majority, whether it's a silent majority or the vocal majority or any other kind of majority, Because if you notice about majorities, and this is a really interesting thing about majorities, they're always counted according to arbitrary criteria. As soon as you say the phrase, most people who... And you put in... You know, most people in Australia 
So you've just, you've just put in a, a category. You know, most people in Australia are six feet tall. Well, I don't know what it would be. But <laughs> they're always arbitrary. And what they do is they put some people in and some people out. And if you're going to be part of the main group, you're only part of the main group by virtue of there being a smaller group that aren't. That's the nature of being part of the mainstream. It means that you've rejected all the other streams and you're joining with that one. Jesus wasn't going to be counted in with any group that counted anybody out. That's part of the problem, in a sense. So he stayed out altogether. And if you read the Gospel accounts carefully, you'll see he stays on the fringes. He hangs out with tax gatherers. They were obnoxious to the culture. They were the the Roman overlords, little insidious money grabbers. He hung out with prostitutes and people who had leprosy and incurable diseases. He was always hanging out on the fringe and he wouldn't go with any group that counted themselves by counting anybody out. It's a very difficult path to walk because our world does not like non-joiners in a funny kind of way. If you're not running with the mainstream, you will find that soon the mainstream will move to alienate you in some way. I walk around the city a lot, I listen to a lot of podcasts, there's some great ones on the ABC, and on our end at the moment there's a thing called Who Runs This Place? And episode two talks about, um, what are they called? They're called lobbyists, lobbyists and influencers. And it's talking about, you know, you think we're in a democracy, and of course we are, and you think the people we elect have all the power, and we, they're responsible to us and all that kind of... But this podcast suggests that most power in Australia is held by a group of mates that offer favours and return favours to each other, and these include the politicians and the civil servants and major industry group leaders and this kind of thing. So it's a bit of a, a swamp view of politics, which is hard to argue against given all the data that they give you. And it talks about lobbyists making big donations or, or industry groups making big donations to both sides of politics because the donation isn't about influencing The donation is about buying into the system where you are tacitly saying, I'm not going to kick up a stink about how things work. I just want to play with you. And this is a really interesting phenomenon because I think we do it in the school playground. You know, I'm not going to question the way the setup is. I just want to participate. I just want to join in. And if you join in, you're in. But if you're unwilling to join in, according to the rules that are set, then you're not in. And you can easily become odious to those who are in. And Jesus continually put himself in that position in accordance with the religious and power structures of his day. Because groups, communities, societies... We like joiners. We like people to participate with us who are willing to share the assumed culture and priorities. And if you're not in, you're out. And uh, that's a hard way to live life, to be on the outside. So Jesus says to this guy, are you ready for that? 
Think about that. You, you're welcome to follow me wherever I go, but are you ready for what that means? The next person, well, next, next disciple really knows his Bible. And uh, this is a, uh, a really cool little move, and all you young people out there should pay attention to it, because if ever... <laughs> If ever you want to excuse yourself from something, it's good to have a good reason, right? And uh, the Bible says, or the Old Testament says, honour your father and your mother. And um, this person says, I will follow you. I'm just going to obey the Old Testament and I'm going to honour my father. Let me bury my father first. He's not dead. This is the idea that I'll look after him until he dies. Once he's gone, then I'm liberated to do my own thing and follow my own pursuits. So, you know, that's a pretty good noble reason, right? And for those of us who are caring for elderly parents, we know how noble it is to look after our elderly parents. This is, this is good stuff. And the best excuses are noble excuses. If you're going to excuse yourself from something, don't have some piddly, weak, you know, selfish reason. Have a really good excuse. Now, people from Presbytery, Robin, close your ears, and Anne, because... Twice a year, Presbytery has its meeting on a Tuesday evening. Now, Tuesday evening is the night that my wife Jo works, and it's my responsibility to cook dinner and look after the girls. So on those Tuesday evenings, I say to the Presbytery, look, I'm sorry, I have this responsibility, it's my family, can't get more noble than that, you know, they're kids, they need me to be there, I can't come. Although I did notice that there was a thing on on a Tuesday evening that I really wanted to get to, and somehow I managed to find a babysitter. So we do things according to our priorities and we find legitimising reasons to support why we do them. And I think that's what we see happening here because the two ideas are not antithetical. It's not that you can either follow Jesus or honour your parents. Of course he could have done both. And there was a way to find to do both. What he was really saying is, I want to fit in with the established culture. That's, that's him and his dad. I want to I fit in with the established way, how the culture would like me to do it. And that's what I'm wanting to fit in with. But Jesus is saying there might be other ways. You don't have to just walk blindly according to the way the culture is calling you to walk. There might be ways that you can honour your parents and follow me. In fact, of course there are. Jesus is very clear on honouring parents. When the Pharisees wanted people to put all their money into the temple treasury, he said, what are you doing? The the scriptures say to honour your father and mother and all the the stuff that people would be using to honour their parents, you're telling them to put in the treasury? That's, That's not on. So he was a bit of a subversive on that. So it's not that he's got anything against parents, but he just wants to challenge the way people are thinking, the established way that you think everyone must do it is not necessarily the way everyone must do it. And then the third person really gets down to the nub of the issue. He's really getting down to where your heart is at. This person really just wanted to say goodbye to family and friends, to have a send-off, to be remembered by and to remember... And, uh, you know, obviously following Jesus marks a significant departure for a person in this way and marking that with a a goodbye would be a perfectly reasonable thing to do, wouldn't it? We like rites of passage to mark significant events. 
Although it's interesting, the, the rite of passage for marking the decision to follow Jesus is baptism, which is a very interesting rite of passage because it's a washing away of stuff and a rising into new stuff. So it's a washing away of old stuff and a rising into a new direction. And in a funny kind of way, this idea of going back to say goodbye is the precise opposite of baptism. It's kind of going back to the old stuff before begrudgingly going off to the new thing. And I don't know if you've ever been to an evangelistic place where people have given their testimony. I've been to one or two, and every now and then you get someone who stands up and they talk at length and depth and with real detail and almost cherished words about their former life and you know how they engaged in debauchery and drugs and illegal this and fun that and you're kind of thinking hmm, sounds like you really enjoyed that <laughs> and, and then right at the end of the, and then I became a Christian and that's all finished now it's like right I think we might have missed the point there <laughs> what do you really long for what are the things that really fire your jets? What are the passions that burn in your heart? When you fall asleep and dream, what do you dream of? When your mind drifts, what are your default? You know, where is it for you? What is the driving passion of your life? See, discipleship is not simply about signing up to a set of religious beliefs. It's not even participating in regular rituals, although I, I think they can be useful, or undertaking theological study. I've done heaps of that and I love it, but that's not what it's about. And it's definitely not about creating the appearance of being a disciple while maintaining as much as possible your pre-existing way of doing life. That's not discipleship. At the heart of discipleship, there is a shift that takes place, where in the weight of what you think is most important shifts to something new. Rather than a focus on what is being foregone or lost, what Jesus is saying is, no, we don't look at what we're letting go of, we look at what we're taking on, what we're coming into. This is the dynamic of death to the former way and coming to new life in a new way. But Discipleship is fundamentally the embrace, the willing, desirous embrace of the new life. It's much more than departing the old one. I wonder why you became a disciple. I wonder what desires were fired for you when you decided, yeah, I think I will become a disciple. I wonder what sold it for you, or whether indeed you've made that choice, or whether you're just kind of still thinking about it. I remember when I uh, first heard the gospel message and the way it was laid out for me, it was about, this is a coarse way of saying it, but kind of like getting a ticket into heaven, securing my well-being for all eternity. It seemed like a good deal at the time, and I thought, yep, I'll sign on to that, that's a good thing. This was a, a simplistic approach and I found it increasingly dissatisfying as I learnt more and more this kind of underneath this drawer of the eternal insurance policy I realised that really what I wanted was a place to belong which is the very thing Jesus started with and in this world places to belong 
you can make them, but you've got to work hard at it. And if you don't want to just bend yourself to fit in, you might not find one. And I wanted to find one where I didn't have to bend myself to fit in. I was loved for who I am. And that was kind of what I was hearing in the gospel message. I'd never wanted to be rejected. And this brings us to the bedrock question underneath everything. What is it that we truly, actually, genuinely, honestly desire as human beings? And each of us would put it in slightly different words, but it's interesting to think about because the key thing I believe discipleship offers us is a shift in what we actually desire. So that's a bit tricky, isn't it? It doesn't give us what we desire. It gives us our desires. Think about that for a moment. It doesn't give us what we desire. It gives us our desires. Discipleship is not a behaviour modification program. It is a conviction-shifting experience. Rather than following Jesus being for me now about getting a ticket into heaven to secure my eternal well-being, it's become about participating in the self-giving love of Christ in whatever circumstances I find myself in. It involves my deepest desire shifting from a focus on myself and my own protection and belonging to focusing on other people and actually desiring to serve and doing that thing which is actually service. And I tell you a mystery. In that move, I really feel like I belong. Isn't that a mystery? It's not about me, and it can't be about me, but the more I do it, the more the deepest thing I desire comes to me, and I experience salvation. See, when I first heard the call of Christ, when any of us first hear the call of Christ, we can't help but hear it through the the lenses or the filters or the metaphors that we already have. And we hear it and it beckons us. But if we take up the challenge of following Jesus, the more we follow, the more we participate, the more our desires will shift. And they won't be so much about us. They will be about the kingdom. They will be about other people. Not trying to do the right thing, but actually, no, I want to do this. This is where I really fit. This is what brings me fulfillment. This is what really fires my heart. And this is what following Jesus is about. And it's a good thing to invite other people to join in on. It's good, it's good for us if others join in, right? But it's good for them as well. And it's good for the whole collection of the church. And I tell you what, it's good for people who have no idea about discipleship as well because disciples, real disciples, are good people who bring blessing to the society. This is the good news of Jesus. Not that we get what we desire, but we get brand new desires that change the world. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that this is no superficial deal. You don't want us simply to jump through hoops for some bizarre, arbitrary reason. 
You want us to follow you and do life in a way that you've modelled for us that we might be changed from the deepest places to become people who follow you, who do it your way and change the world. Help us to do that, we pray, as we seek to follow you. In your precious name. Amen.